everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the flagship show. Yep, it's me. You usually don't hear me on the flagship show, and even when you do, most of the time I am here with one of my other cohorts, but tonight I am flying solo. Yep, that's right. You get me with the flagship show. Uh, no one else was available, so I stepped up to the plate. I'm going to take my swing. But the good thing is, we've got a lot to talk about and we could cover the bases on just about everything. There's so much news going on with Bayern Munich. There is literally so much going on with the team and how they've been playing in the preseason, which I really want to touch on. And there's also Germany at the Women's World Cup, which as we know, eh, things are a little bit shaky right now. So uh, we're going to hit on all of those topics. Uh, And where I want to start is with Germany, because after having a really romping and stomping start to the World Cup, ah, they ran into the revenge of James Rodriguez. Yep, after all these years, finally, uh, someone from Colombia was able to do in Bayern Munich, not from the inside out, as James Rodriguez was trying to do during his tenure. And yes, I say that in jest, but... If you missed it, Germany dropped a 2-1 decision to Colombia. And I I will tell you this, that Colombian team was a lot of fun to watch. That team has some talent. They have some skill. They were aggressive. They were hungry. And it looked like Germany wasn't quite ready for what they were about to face, which is really weird because Germany, as we know, has some of the top women's players in the world on on the squad and something has just been off and it's not just with this version of the German national team being the women we've seen it on the men's side as well. Something is just not clicking now in a weird way. I will tell you that I believe that the women's side is a little bit ahead of the men's side when it comes to being competitive on the world stage being able to get the players to meld together, but it did not click against Columbia for a number of reasons. And we've seen a lot of things out there so far in in the wake of that game. We've seen some implications that the Germans were a little bit soft, which I I don't know that I necessarily buy. Uh, I think Columbia was by far the more aggressive team. I think they were the harder working team. I think Germany might have underestimated Columbia a little bit. Uh, that is something I think is legitimate and you could, you could definitely make that criticism, but in the end, I think there are some developmental issues within the day of Bay. And I, and I think that it's not just with the men's side. I think there are some things with the women's side that, that need to be fixed. And I, it's a funny thing to say, because I think Germany has some of the best technical players in this entire tournament, but physically, I don't feel like they matched up well against Colombia. I think they would struggle against England, perhaps against France and the United States as well. Uh, those are the type of teams, and even the Netherlands and Sweden, they would give Germany a lot of trouble. And given the, the skill level that we see on the German team, and, and yes, admittedly, they have some injuries that are tough to overcome. But it does seem like... Whereas the United States is known more for their physical ability and their athleticism and and maybe not so much for their technical ability. Germany has the reverse problem where 
they have great technical ability, but have not really embraced that. I guess I don't want to say mental toughness because I believe that that German team has some extremely competitive players. I just think they weren't really ready for what they were going to see. And perhaps it is an issue where some of the other teams are, are getting bigger, stronger, faster. I think we saw that with the Netherlands and how they competed against the United States. Uh, they clearly have been developing uh, a, a program that has helped their team not just be able to match up technically with some of the bigger nations in the world, but also physically. And I think that they did a pretty good job in being able to manage what is a very athletic and tough United States team. Now with Germany, I look at a couple of things and I, I see, I see some great players. I see some players that can take their level of play and raise it higher on the big stage. And they're going to have to because <laughs> they're facing off with a South Korea side that could be very, very tough. And we saw this scenario play out with the men in 2018, a win, a loss. Of course, it was reverse order for this women's team. They had a win and a loss, whereas the men had a loss against Mexico back in 2018 and then a win against Sweden before they hit that match against South Korea. The women are going to have to be focused for Germany in this one. And it sounds very easy and very naive to say that, but it's true. They cannot let what happened against a very hungry Colombia side affect the way that they played against South Korea. It is it is a very interesting scenario. But one thing that if you've been watching this Women's World Cup, one thing that you'll notice about some of these countries that, I mean, there, there are a lot of good footballing countries out there for women. There's no doubt about that. I think Spain is on the rise. England has done a tremendous job. Uh, France as well. I mean, there are, we obviously can see that with Sweden and in the Netherlands. There is a lot of positive movement and development going on throughout Europe, which is why it's very curious as to how Germany seems like they're taking a bit of a step back. But I guess when you look at the gold standard for how women and women have developed over the years, everyone wants to look at the United States. And I think it's very fair to say that by far the United States has done the best job developing their female athletes. They've been able to get them to the level of athleticism and technical ability that has made them the team to beat in just about every international competition. Now, what I will tell you is I do believe that the world is catching up, which is why it's disappointing that Germany seems to be taking a little bit of a step back here. I think that countries like Spain and England and France and the Netherlands and Sweden, among many others, are starting to, to go full cycle with this. Uh, I believe in Europe, there's been just a, a massive focus on technical ability in the women's game. And I think that you can see that with how good the players are. And I think in the beginning of the United States, there was, a, again, a very strong focus on that technical ability. But one thing the United States has done is embrace the speed, the strength, and all of that in developing athletes in a way that they are bigger, faster, stronger. And I think a good example of that is if you remember back to uh, when BFW was doing interviews with the Bayern Munich Frauen, and we had Sarah Zadrazil, who is Austrian, uh, we had an opportunity to interview her. And when she came over to the United States to play college ball, 
she said it was the first time she had ever entered a weight room. The, her entire soccer career was focused on technical ability and technical training. And that's such a good thing. But the world was beginning to evolve. And the United States was one of those countries that said, hey, we can take our female athletes and treat them just like we do the male athletes. We don't just have to do ball work. We don't have to just have to do technical skills and focus on those. We can get them in the gym. We can get them on speed programs. And they, and they did, and they have been extremely successful in doing that. The problem in the United States now is a bit of the reverse. Now the United States has not just developed these great athletes and great players, but now the focus has become so much so on the physical and athletic side that the team's technical ability is just not quite where it was four years ago or eight years ago. And I believe with the new wave of players coming in, you're going to see some tremendous athletes and you're going to get a handful of really good technical players. I think Rose Lavelle, who was kind of caught in between the two generations, in my mind, is maybe the best player in the world, which is amazing that she doesn't seem to be held in such high regard with this version of the U.S. women's national team. But either way, while the U.S. is taking this step back and focusing in my opinion, more on building up teams that are faster and bigger and stronger. And, and there's a ton of reasons for that. And we'll touch on those in a bit. Those European teams are now investing in that. And that's, that's the thing that I think is, is so clutch. Spain and Sweden, they are all now pushing that physical side to where they are getting those, those women faster, stronger, bigger. And you can see it on the field and how they play and how they match up against some of the teams like the United States or Canada, who have traditionally been some of the more athletic and bigger, stronger sides. Uh, in the United States, and I, and I can speak from some experience with this, um, the developmental system is is crazy bad <laughs> it is a obviously a pay-to-play system it is a system that is rife with corruption and there's many many issues with talent identification and how they go about picking their teams and how they get to the point where people in power at certain clubs have such sway over how the youth in the country develops and how they build their national teams. It is a very dysfunctional system. Uh, the European model with the clubs running things and those big clubs really powering uh, the selection of the national teams and developing those players that will populate those national teams. It is so much better. And I think over the coming years, and it might not even be in the next World Cup cycle, but I do believe within the next eight years to 12 years, you're going to see that balance of power shift over to the European teams because I do believe that England, chief among them, they are doing a much better job balancing the physical training with the technical training. And without having that pay-to-play system and without having uh, a you know, really independent leagues and agencies be in charge of the development of youth, having clubs that are invested in those players that, that have a, a, a really, you know, they have a stake in those players. It means much more than what we're doing over here in the United States. 
Uh, I do believe in the end and in the future, there will be a, a dramatic shift in power. And I'm hoping that Germany is able to, to kind of ride the wave of what is going on in Europe. And I do think that the German clubs need to embrace the women's game a little more. It's, some of them do a very good job, Bayern Munich chief among them. But there needs to be more money put into the game. There needs to be more money put into youth development of the of the women's game. And listen, it's not, I'm not sitting here saying it's my job to champion anything for women or anything like that. They do a great job doing that for themselves. But as an independent observer here, I'm seeing this shift and I'm seeing how the European teams, those countries in Europe are, especially in Spain, you're seeing these significant investments and how it is starting to pay off for their national teams. The absence of that kind of system in the United States is, is going to, in my opinion, eventually cause this shift in power. So I would personally love to see the U.S. adopt the model that we see in Europe where the MLS teams or the NWSL teams, they create and run the academies. We sort of see it on the men's side with MLS Next, where MLS has invested into those Youth leagues, they have, I mean, their clubs have teams and there's outside clubs that are involved, but there is a sanctioning body that is recognized within the boundaries of North America or the United States that says, this is the way we're going to do things. And we did see some of that with the U.S. Development Academy before it folded. And I think some of the, the good things about the Development Academy have carried over into MLS Next, but on the girls' side, course when they're under 18 they're girls uh it, it is a lot different you have competing leagues that are not aligned you have just so many different holes in the system that allow players to slip through uh you know a good example of how players can get caught when the system is working the right way and there is that net that is there that is provided by, you know, I don't want to say governmental oversight because it's not the government, but if there's a sanctioning body there that creates a net to not let those players slip through, you see it in an instance like we saw with Chris Richards, a kid that was in Alabama who did not have a big club near him, did not have one of those power clubs in one of the power leagues in the United States. So he, he played ODP. And that opened the doors for him because through ODP, he got recognized for his talent. He started to travel. Coaches started to recognize his talent. They started to refer him to other clubs, which first opened the door to get him a tryout at FC Dallas, which of course was not successful. So he ended up going another route to another bigger club because again, there was this net that was not going to let a talented kid slip through. And eventually he did end up at FC Dallas, made his way over to Bayern Munich, and boom, his career had started. There is no net now on the women's or girls' side in the United States. That net, in my mind, in those European countries was not there 10 years ago, but it's there now. And that net is not just catching all the technical players, but it's taking those technical players and working on their physical skills as well, their speed, their strength, all of it. And it is making a difference. In the United States, we're still seeing some kids slip through. We're still seeing 
uh, a lack of cohesion and the lack of a true sanctioning body to regulate how things get done. And without that, I do believe in the next eight to 12 years, we're going to see a dramatic shift. And I just hope for Germany's sake that they can look at what's going on around them, look at what some of the other countries are doing, and then they can start to invest into their own system. They can get the clubs to invest more money into the women's game and that they start to develop their players into the type of players that do not get overwhelmed on the big stage like I think we saw against Colombia. So I'm just taking it all full circle back there. The developmental system in each country is very fascinating. If you're into that kind of thing, it's good It's good to go and look and read about what each of these countries are doing, how they're building their teams, what they're doing to improve. And if you're like, I personally, I could be any sport I love hearing about and reading about how players develop and what makes them become great. And I think that in the United States, listen, we're always going to have great athletes here. We're always going to have talented technical players, but are we going to have the system that can put the best players together that can develop the technical players and get them to be better physical specimens? Are we going to take the physical players who might be more athletic and work on their technical skills? I don't know. It's, it's a very fascinating dynamic. And I know over the next few years, we're going to start to see that play out because I do think how the United States used to run roughshod over everyone. Those days, I believe, are over. And I still think they're going to win this tournament. But in four years, I don't know. There could be a dramatically different landscape. And if Germany doesn't watch out, it's not only going to be behind the United States, but far behind countries like Spain and Sweden and England and France. Uh, there are a lot of good things happening in the women's game. If you get a chance, check out these World Cup games because they have been excellent. And I think if you watch every four years in the World Cup, you you would know that. But if you check out some of the other competitions, the international competitions that are out there for the women, if you check out the friendlies that they so often play, uh, you see a lot of good football. So you should check it out. You should check Germany's next game out for sure because – I, I, I mean, if you're not in, if you're not invested into that match, then you have no pulse because it is going to mean something, and uh, Germany needs the win. Oh, so that's my take on the World Cup. There, uh, sorry if I went on a, on a little bit of a tangent, but I, I find the whole dynamic and situation with these countries and these teams to be just so incredibly fascinating, and it's, it's to me a thrill to watch uh, these matches and watch how these athletes are able to compete on the biggest stage. And, and and just like we saw with Columbia, you every once in a while, you see that David versus Goliath story. And uh, that's what we saw with Germany there. One of the other big, big stories of the week, and this is, of course, the biggest story out there for Bayern Munich, is that pursuit of Harry Kane. So I'm not going to dive into this in depth we all know what's going on with this but let's just give a quick update on where things stand as of sunday night we know that Bayern munich is going to meet with daniel levy and tottenham hotspur because their initial meeting set for friday was called off when something happened with levy we have heard a number of different stories but what we do know and what the reports that are out there say is that Bayern munich is prepared to come in with an offer of about 87 million euro which 
seems a little bit light when you consider that Tottenham seems to be looking for something in the neighborhood of 117 million euro, which you could see how being about 30 million euro short, that could be a problem. But we'll see how much flexibility Levy has here. Of course, there are some off the field, off outside of the boardroom issues going on with Tottenham right now, which could affect some things. But Levy ultimately is going to have to make the decision. What does he want to do with this club? Does he want to take this money now, send Kane away and just move on? Or does he want to take the chance of keeping Kane and trying to convince him to stay over the course of the season? It's a Sophie's choice for Daniel Levy, of course. Who knows what he will do, but most are expecting him to play a little bit of hardball and probably for Bayern Munich to have to ultimately up that offer. I don't think this will be a best and final offer from Bayern Munich. I think coming in at 87, they know they might have to go higher. And I think ultimately this deal could get done for somewhere around 98. I know that sounds weird. I just have this number in my head and I don't know why, but I feel like 98 will be the thing that gets the job done for Bayern Munich in this scenario. And with Kane, when, when, and I do believe it is a case of when and not if he makes this move, it will drastically change how this team operates and how they're playing which is a big concern right now. So that'll roll right into what we're going to discuss next. But first, we're going to stop for this break. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bavarian Podcast Works flagship show. This is Chuck Smith. As you might recognize my voice, if you don't typically listen to the weekend warm-up, I'm normally on that show. I do a lot of the preview shows and also a lot of the post-games. Not too often over here on the flagship show, but every so often I lend my voice over here and today you got me. So let's make the best of it together. I'm enjoying sitting in this seat and being able to bring this show to you. But where we left off before that commercial break was the, I don't want to say sad state of affairs at Bayern Munich because it's not that bad yet, but I do have a little bit of a concern with what I've seen in the, in the preseason. I didn't love how the team played under Thomas Tuchel at the end of last season. I thought they were a bit of a mess at times. I don't think that Tuchel really ever got full control of the team and was able to really break through to the team and get them to embrace everything that he wanted to do. And I still kind of feel like that's the case. And I am getting a little bit worried about that. Now, I know you've got some new players mixing in. Conrad Limers obviously usurped the starting role from Leon Goretzka, which is something we could do a whole show on, actually. But there's going to be some adjustment there as he grows that partnership with Joshua Kimmich. You've got Kim Min Jae coming in, and it looks like he could be bumping Dio Upamakano out of a role. We will talk about that in a bit. You've got an what seems like a very, uh, how do you word this properly? A very good but very inconsistent group of wings that uh, need to get it together and really show that talent that they have. I mean, I, I'm a believer in Byron's wingers, uh, especially now that Sadio Mane looks like he'll be out of the picture. Uh, but they need to be better and more consistent with it. 
And I think one other piece of uncertainty that we have is you haven't had Manuel Neuer yet. He's still battling back from his injury, breaking his leg last winter. And yes, there's a lot of concern with that if he's not healthy by now. I mean, it's getting to the point where, you know, Luca Hernandez, who tore his ACL, is probably maybe in better physical shape than Manuel Neuer at this point in terms of being able to play. Thomas Muller has not been available, so you're missing that entire aspect of what he brings to the team. But the preseason has not been great. Even with those things, and if you cut the team some slack, it's a little bit concerning because when you, you look at playing Man City, sure, you're not supposed to win that game anyway, and it's not like it was horrible, but it, it's not like it was great either. And when you look at Bayern playing Kawasaki Frontal, I, I was not impressed with anything uh, in terms of that match and, and what the outcome was. Things need to be better under Tuchel. And with Tuchel, there are a lot of things at play. What does he want this team to look like? I mean, it is absolutely concerning right now that they don't have a true number nine that can lead the attack. And I think we're all expecting that Harry Kane move to go through at this point, and that will solve a lot of problems. But when Kane comes in, they're going to have to figure out how to play with him who best plays with him because once you make that move and you bring him in, he becomes the quote unquote man for this team. And people have to get him the ball in the areas where he wants it. Who will be capable of doing that? You know, and some of the other things to look at with why things haven't been as successful in this preseason as maybe some of us would like. I don't think the wingers have been particularly great. I don't think Jamal Musiala has been particularly great. I do worry a little bit about Musiala. He, of course, like, raged onto the scene and, and looked like an absolute phenom. But now, while he shows those moments and those periods of greatness, there's also some flaws to his game that I think we're starting to see. And with Musiala and, and, and how important he is going to be, we're going to have to start to see some growth out of him and start to see him take over games and not be as quite frankly, error-prone as we have seen him be over the course of the last, what, eight months or so. He has so much potential and there's so much that he can do, but he absolutely has to start to take the next step. And I think most people buy into that, you know, the fact that he can do it and he probably will do it. We've got to see it and we've got to see him start to thrive under Tuchel. And this is the big point that I want to make in assessing this preseason because I agree with everyone that's rolling their eyes out there. It's way too early to be down on the team, and I'm certainly not down on them. But I do want to see Tuchel start to break through these players. I do want to see the players start to rally around him because it's great to talk about it in interviews. And, and quite frankly, we don't actually see a lot or read a lot about players talking about how awesome Tuchel is. We don't. And you know, whatever. I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but when Julian Nagelsmann came in and Hansi Flick came in, we saw a lot of players talking about the impact they were making. Now we have Tuchel here. He's asserted himself. He clearly is a brilliant footballing mind, but I don't know if he's reaching the players the way that he needs to. And we'll start to see more of this and how that's playing out 
once the season starts, but it is something for all of us to keep an eye on. Tuchel has so many good qualities as a coach, but his relationships with players is not one of his strongest points. Now, I think in all of Tuchel's teams, he does have a handful of players that he he typically has as an inner circle, I guess I would say. I don't know how that's going to work at Bayern Munich or if he even has an inner circle at this point. But his job is going to be to take this group as it's currently constructed and meld them into something great with or without Harry Kane. And if they don't get Kane somehow, it's going to be extremely difficult. If they do get Kane, it's still going to be difficult because he's going to have to figure out the right combinations to get the best out of Kane and the best out of the team. So more than anything, what I want to see, and I don't really even necessarily need to see it in the next exhibition match, I need to see it in training and I need to start hearing how Tuchel's impacting this team and what his plans are for how he's going to manage this group of players. I think he's capable of pulling great things out of this team, but being capable of something and actually doing it, as we know, are two totally different things. So we need to see how Tuchel's going to manage this and and what he's going to rip out of these players to put them over the top. Because the Bundesliga is not going to be easy this season. The Pokal is always uh, a crapshoot. And as we know, the Champions League right now is probably a two-horse race between Man City and Real Madrid. Everyone else is taking a backseat, quite frankly. So Bayern Munich, even if they get Kane, still has some work to do to prove that they deserve to be in that upper echelon, the highest level of teams in Europe. I believe they can get there. But if Tuchel doesn't start to impact these players the way he'll need to, it could be very, very sketchy for him uh, through September and October. And I know there are already some people out there that think he won't make it through October. Hey, anything is possible at this point. One of those things that could potentially be something that weighs heavily into the success that Tuchel has is who he lines up at center back. And as we know, Bayern Munich right now has four tremendous center backs, uh, if you ask me. I mean, that's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. But you have Matthijs De Ligt, you have Dio Upamakano, you have Kim Min-Jae, and you have Benjamin Pavar, who for some reason is still with Bayern Munich, even though all he did was talking about was talk about wanting to leave Bayern Munich last season, it seems like. Povard is a it's a very fascinating situation for him. I think he wants to be a center back. I think he can play center back for nearly anyone. I think he's a good right back as well. His versatility makes him just an ace for most coaches. It just seems like no one is all that interested in having him come in and play center back, which is very puzzling to me because I thought Pavar was very, very good when he played center back last season but he's not getting any bites right now. So this has really complicated things on the back line because not only do you have Pavar wanting to play center back and in the mix with a group of three other very talented players, his presence at right back, and and you know I, this may offend some people, I still think he's a better player than Nusar Mizrahi or Josip Stanisic. I, I think that could have an adverse effect on those two players as well because if somehow Pavar stays, and, and 
uh, listen, I still think it's a long shot that he remains with the team uh, after the summer transfer window ends. But if he stays, that's a pretty big roadblock in front of two players that are young and need some time. In addition, he wants to play center back. And I believe if Tuchel, who reportedly really likes Pavar, wants to, to really have Pavar challenge for that position, I think Pavar is going to do really well and could shock some people and end up being one of the top two on the team. There are a lot of possibilities there, but unless he gets a, some bites between now and the end of August, we could be looking at Bayern Munich having Pavar in a lame duck season where he still might be one of the best defenders on the team. So that whole situation is pretty crazy. But the biggest focus right now is what happens with Dio Upamakano. Even taking Pavar out of the mix, if you assume that Pavar is going to leave, great. You still have Matthijs De Ligt and Kim Min Jae, who I think both of those players are going to present big problems for Dio Upamakano. Now, Upamakano is a player who, from the moment he signed with Bayern Munich, immediately got the support of the fans and people were excited. I mean, if you saw him play with RB Leipzig, you knew he was a player. You knew he had a lot of skill. You knew that he was going to be a big physical presence on the back line and he had proven himself. He absolutely was one of those deals that was pretty much a can't miss proposition, right? He was going to come in and if he wasn't going to start, he was going to be a contributor, but Somewhere over the course of last season, he hit the skids. Uh, his whole season was not bad by any means. He was very, very good in the first half. Second half, he definitely struggled with his confidence. Once he made one big mistake on the big stage, it snowballed. And I do think it affected him mentally. And I think he started making more physical mistakes when he became a little bit scattered mentally. And that drew the ire of Thomas Tuchel. And, you know, there are some reports out there that indicate that Tuchel is not necessarily the biggest fan of Upamakano after that whole experience. So it will be very curious to see what happens. If the Licht and Kim Min Jae end up being that champagne duo at center back, what happens with Upamakano? Is he going to be happy as a reserve, as the third wheel, for lack of a better term, in the center back mix? I don't think he will be. And I do believe that if if Tugel leans on Delict and Kim Min Jae, that there is going to be some fallout with Upa Makano. Now, Upa Makano, if he were to make himself available, I don't think he would quite have the same market he would have had if this was last summer, but he'll still get enough teams to take a flyer on him because he's big, he's talented, and he has proven that he can do it. Now, you could argue that there could be some flaws in his game, that he could be one of the players that hits a period of his career where mentally something, where you, you hit a mistake and mentally something just blocks you. Uh, I think we've seen that with several players. Eden Hazard is a player who you can say what you want about his physical state and that he lacked the commitment, and that's all true. But I also believe that something happened to him after maybe a repeated series of failures on the field that killed his career and that he could not recover from. I don't think Upamakano is there yet. I think he's got a long enough track record of success 
that he believes in himself that he'll be able to get back to his previous great form. But when there's doubt inside a player, if there's any bit of confidence that is lacking, it's going to show itself at the worst time. And now Upamakano has gotten a little bit of a reputation for being a bobbler, right? I don't believe it. If you, if it's out there, you know, I mean, it's certainly out there. You see it in different areas, but he's a person that's going to have to get over that. And there's only one way to get over that. And that's by going out there, playing your best, matching up against the best and putting in an ace performance. The problem for Upamakano is he might not get that opportunity. Matthijs De Ligt is now talking like the team's captain. And I think that that's pretty much how people are starting to view him. Even Tuchel at this point, I believe, has a deep belief in De Ligt. Kim and Jay has come in and has had just praise heaped upon him <laughs> nonstop since they signed him. I mean, it's clear Bayern Munich made an investment in him for a reason. And that reason was not to come here and be the third center back. So in my mind, I'm looking at this situation. And right now, if I was going to guess, I, I would say that Upamakano is going to be the odd man out of the starting 11. And I don't think that's going to sit well with him. And I think that it's going to be a situation where, you know, over the course of this season, things could absolutely go off the rails. I don't, believe he's the type of player that's going to cause a disruption but i think he's going to let the club know he's not happy about where he stands if it all plays out this way uh delict now for all of his good traits he does tend to get nicked up a lot so it might not end up being that big of a deal because you could see quite a bit of upamakano and kiminjay teaming up but then that X factor comes back in with Benjamin Pavar, who, if he's still around, Tuchel might rate him higher than Upamakano at this point. So there's a lot that could happen with Upamakano. I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means. And I know there will be some people that listen and they'll say, like, oh, you're just picking on him. I'm not picking on him. I Listen, he's a great player. I don't know if Bayern views him as a starting center back given the personnel that they currently have it's not a knock on Upamakano. it's more of a compliment on the talent acquisition that that Bayern Munich has done at that position and, and the current depth that they have if you think about it Josip Stanisic well, I know it was in a back three but some of his better games were playing as a center back so uh you know the team it, it, it's a it's a it's a wealth of options there I mean when you have players like that and you can roll any one of them out there, you know you're, for the most part, always going to get a solid showing. That's a great thing. But with, you know, big salaries and big profiles come big egos. And certainly all of those players, with maybe the exception of Stanisic, who is still sort of an up-and-comer and who really is more of a right-back by trade anyway, uh, those four players in Delict, Kim and Jay, Makano, and Pavar, they all think they're great. And for the most part in their careers, they all have been great. So they should feel that way. It's just going to be very difficult to keep four center backs like that happy unless Tuchel rolls out a back three, which, you know, I don't want to get chased out of BFW with torches and pitchforks, but it could happen personnel that the club has 
we could see it. I mean, Tuchel has done it before, but maybe not. <laughs> that is definitely something that we'll be keeping an eye on because it is true that center back is one of the team's deepest and best positions. And if you've got that many good players, why not build from there rather than another area that's maybe not so deep or as talented as you would like, like, like the attack <laughs> for as good as Bayern Munich's attackers can be individually. They don't always appear to be in sync. Hopefully if Harry Kane arrives, he can help with that. But uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting period to observe what Tuchel does and how he especially uses these center backs because he's got a lot of good options. And by all means, uh, we've seen how this works for Bayern, good Bayern players who aren't getting field time. They have no, no problem complaining, whether it's to the media or to their teammates, and they're going to voice their opinion. So, uh, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, I think that we're at the stage of the preseason now where we do have to start looking at what this team's going to look like. And I know that over the next couple of weeks on all of our BPW shows, we'll be focusing a little bit each week on what's going on with the team and how whatever the flow is and whatever decisions are being made are how all of those things will affect Tuchel and the personnel on the roster moving forward and how they're preparing for the season. So this should be a really fun time. And it's, you know, it's honestly, it's great to have this back because it's much more than talking about transfers and what might be going on at goalkeeper and whatnot. We're actually getting to talk about how this all will translate onto the field. And as we all know, that's the most fun part. So Thank you for listening to the flagship show. Thank you for hanging in with me. As always, you can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweet Meister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get, I need no name at BFW. And then you can get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We are churning out some great content every day. Our schedule has been really consistent. We haven't missed the time slot and it feels like months. So, you know, if you're coming to our site, you're going to get something uh, at all of our designated time slots. We, we have been just rolling through content. So we appreciate all of you that download the podcast that come to the site and check out our posts. And of course, when you contribute in the community and, and leave comments and have discussions and create some banter it's always even better we definitely appreciate all of you that do that so thanks again for listening uh you'll probably hear me on the weekend warm up again and i'm fingers crossed going to have another bfw uh blogger with me on that uh i want to uh bring someone on and talk about some of the recent things that have been going on so Hopefully we can sync up and make that happen. But if not, I will surely have that person on uh, in the coming weeks because there is a lot I want to uh, get out of this person because he just had a great experience over in Germany and there's a lot to talk about. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.